This podcast is made possible by Host Analytics and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Tom O'Flynn, CFO of AES, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 304. When I get, got sent from our holding company in uh, Munich to become a CFO, uh, in a market in the United Kingdom, I was also given the responsibility for human resources. And this is where I really got in touch with the people dimension and helping to enable a business. I think as a, as a normal CFO, you are very much trained in analyzing the numbers, analyzing the KPIs, analyzing um, the business cases. And it was really then important to see how do you get the best part and how do you enable the business through the people and how do you grow the people and inspire the people. From the Middle Market Executive Digital Network, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. This is Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Talita Ferreira, CFO Emeritus of BMW Group. Less than a year after exiting BMW's CFO office, a lot has happened for Talita. She's written a book, The Authenticity Dilemma Resolved. She formed a consultancy, Authenticity Change Solutions, and she's illuminating a new path for finance leadership, one that's hungry for human capital insight. We began by asking Talita to look back and reflect on her career, and then look ahead and share her thoughts on the future of finance. Before our discussion came to an end, we had enough insightful content for two episodes. Episode 1, Talita Ferreira Looks Back, begins right after these words from our sponsor. It's no secret finance professionals are dealing with some pretty complex problems these days. Now more than ever, they need tools that can help them streamline complex workflows and focus on bigger strategic issues. By bringing your finance organization together on a single cloud platform, Host Analytics automates everyday processes that would otherwise slow you down. By streamlining your planning, modeling, consolidation, reporting, and analytics, Host helps you connect your organization so you can react more quickly to changing conditions and make better business decisions to optimize performance. Let Host Analytics be your partner in leading the evolution of your business. So, Talita, what were those career experiences you feel helped uh, shape your CFO career? Well, the first one I would say is when I left my home country, South Africa, and my husband and I, so I'd been working for BMW Automotive Division in South Africa, and I moved to where the holding company was based in Munich and went to their financial services area because I had Previously in my career, I'm a chartered accountant and I'd worked in uh, banking. So it was um, natural for me to, from the automotive side, go into the financial services side with that previous banking experience. 
And what really struck me there is um, the challenge of relocating, living in a different country, learning a new language, those intercultural differences, um, all of that, and the growing and developing as a leader that you do from that is quite phenomenal. It doesn't really compare to anything else. Can you share some of the, uh, how did you get your finance skills? So my finance skills, I'm a chartered accountant and I tried, uh, trained with KPMG. And so I um, was always, um, I always enjoyed finance and I enjoyed numbers. Actually at university, I didn't start out with that. I started studying actuarial sciences. And um, within six months in my first year, I went to actually meet um, a group of insurance leaders and actuaries. And it was like being um, assaulted with a sea of gray you know, said with the highest amount of respect, it just didn't seem to me like a very diverse group of people and it, it didn't seem very creative or very interesting. Can you, can you share with us at the age you were at that point in time, what, why did you feel that way? So I was probably, when I, I mean, I went, I went to university when I was 17. So in my first year, I would have turned 18 mid-year. So I was 18 years old when I went to this gathering and it w was all... Um, I just remember people all dressed in, in a similar way, very dark suits, and not a very inspiring environment. It wasn't a very colorful environment. And, you know, the walls were gray. Everything was gray about this, this area where we held this reception. And everyone just seemed to be similar. And maybe it was just being so impressionable at such a young age that it was just, oh, um, actuarial sciences are definitely not for me because it's just... To, at that time, I just thought it's just too bland for me, you know, with seeing this group of people who were very intellectual, very highly skilled, very numbers orientated, but it didn't really impress me that they could really talk about anything else but that. Would this be sort of a, a harbinger of what uh, develops later in your career? Well, you will see later that if we talk about, or we could talk about it now, if we talk about my second uh, really big impulse, it really ties together to exactly what you were asking me. When I get, got sent from our holding company in uh, Munich to become a CFO uh, in a market in the United Kingdom, I was also given the responsibility for human resources. And this is where I really got in touch with that other side of, of leadership as a board director that's really, really, really important, the people dimension and helping to enable a business. I think as a, as a normal CFO, you are very much trained in analyzing the numbers, analyzing the KPIs, analyzing um, the business cases. But sometimes there's a whole other, um, let's say, world of more the people dimension that's really really important and and using the people to enable the business and that's the part that really became very interesting for me in that first CFO role that I had where I needed to also lead human resources and I was responsible for the entire back office of the company IT um, all the all the support functions 
And it was really then important to see how do you get the best part and how do you enable the business through the people and how do you grow the people and inspire the people to really follow new ideas. So I suppose if you compare then this person who had these two dimensions and then, you know, rewind back to those early days, it was probably that that people dimension, that creativity that I was looking for in that room that I just didn't see. I made you jump forward to the uh, to the CFO office, maybe a little too quickly here. I'd be interested in learning, uh, for instance, were were you a controller before uh, before a CFO? Yes, I was a controller before. So when I went to when I was in South Africa, I was the um, the manager for corporate finance, accounting and controlling. So I had the competencies of accounting, controlling, and it was quite wide as well. There was also treasury in the in the position and insurance. And it was uh, for, for numerous entities, for a sales organization and a plant and a leather manufacturer, all coming together in one organization. So those are the parts that I took care of, and I already took care of them. So I wasn't a controller. I stepped right in as at the management level, managing a few people. And then I was promoted within two years and then took on the controlling area as well, so reporting to the CFO. But when I went to Germany, because I didn't speak German, I had a very wise boss and he said, it's better for you to step down a few steps, um, learn German, integrate, get to know financial services, because otherwise, because obviously I knew banking, but not financial services in an automotive captive. And so it was get to grips with that a bit. And so I did some country controlling at that stage, taking care of Mexico and Australia. And I also rolled out a, um, having IFRS as the leading accounting system in the world, a project worldwide for financial services. So those were the things that I did. So actually I was in a more senior position, then took a step down to really learn German, learn that, and then I moved forward as a CFO. As a young person, did you always expect that you would live abroad uh, to advance your career? Would you leave South Africa? Um, I didn't really anticipate it when I started my career. Um, it kind of just happened organically. When I joined BMW, I realized that I would very quickly hit a glass ceiling. So reporting to the CFO, the next step would be the CFO. But you couldn't become a CFO if you hadn't been to the heartbeat of the country, a company and understand really how the company works and you know create networked relationships, et cetera, et cetera, which I totally understood. My dream had always been to be a CFO at the age of 30, um, which is quite normal in South Africa. It's ambitious, but it's, it's at that stage it was normal. And I didn't achieve that goal. I became a, a CFO at the age of uh, 35, so five years later. But then in the UK with a portfolio of £5 billion, which in terms of South African money, you know, times 2016, depending on where the exchange rate is, was a phenomenal achievement at that time. So the global thing really just happened organically. And my husband and I had the conversation and it was like, you know, if I don't leave South Africa, I, I won't be able to progress in this company. And he was at the right stage of his career where he said, yes, let's let's try that. Let's go. And, and off we went. And can you give us a sense, I'm curious, just regionally where you may have uh, been based uh, during, during the period of your, your finance career? So in South Africa, I was based um, in, in Gauteng, which is uh, in, the, in the town of Pretoria. And then when I was in 
Munich uh, in Germany. I was based in, in Munich. And then when I was sent to the UK, um, the company is in the southeast of England. And was your husband, uh, similarly, you were able to uh, uh, move with your, your family life as well, I would imagine? Yes, so my husband um, uh, left his career when we left South Africa. Um, he was not able to work when we were in Germany. We both had South African passports, so unfortunately you can't even, the spouse isn't even allowed to work independently unless someone, another company, brings you to the country as well. So we decided that he would take a career break for the time that we were there. We had two dogs, we had a whole house, you know, we relocated everything at that stage. So he got us settled and had a really nice time with the dogs and he had a motorcycle in the summer. You could see I worked for automotive company, so motorcycle in the summer. So he had a great time in his life. And when we moved to um, the UK three years later, we knew that we wanted to have a, a family at some stage. And it normally takes about six months once you've, when you do such big relocations, it takes about six months until you're really, really settled. And um, we knew we wanted a, a, a family at that stage. So, um, and I took very, very little maternity leave. I took only 12 weeks maternity leave. So. Um, he had the, the pleasure of taking care of our daughter then. So. so my apologies. I interrupted the flow. We were still uh, looking for those experiences that you feel prepared you uh, for a CFO role. So um, the third highlight of my career was really um, when I got promoted uh, again after CFO. It was also a CFO position, but then out of financial services into automotive again. And um, a larger company and a lot more responsibility. And then I was also made responsible for uh, strategy, or I also led strategy at that time. But on top, I took on a cultural program to, co uh, to relocate the two companies that I'd worked for previously in financial services and the automotive company onto one um, site. Um, which had three buildings. We bought the site, refurbished it. And what was really phenomenal in that for me was the whole change program that I was able to run to change the underlying culture. Because having been the CFO of all three of the companies, the cultures were very different. Automotive and financial services is very different. And then to try and co-locate them, because there would be no point to put each one in a separate building. It's better to you know, co-locate, co-mingle, to make sure that the talent can move cross-functionally across the company which is really one of the big strategic visions that we had at the time. And this cultural program is really where, where you, I'm sure we'll touch on it later, is really where my, my passion for authenticity started because it was one of the values that came from, from bottom up in the company. But it's really, it, was a, it was really one of the greatest leadership moments for me to, to inspire a team, to lead a team, to do something that had not been done before and really to to integrate those companies. That's becoming become the blueprint now, really from a cultural perspective. And so that's being done again in, in other countries now and where I'm also helping helping other countries to do that. And was that, uh, that was BMW or? Um, yes, was it was BMW. Okay. Was it a pre-existing site or was this something created from the ground up? It was a pre-existing site. So uh, one of the um, mobile technology phone uh, companies had moved out of there two, three years before, and the site was actually empty. It had three buildings, and um, it was quite in a state of disrepair, to be honest. And we saw the opportunity of buying the site and then refurbishing it. 
and moving the three companies, two financial services companies and one um, automotive company into those buildings and then um, changing the underlying cultural elements as well because they were so different. One had to really launch new values. We used a, um, what one would call a, an employer brand really or a communication language, a personality to launch it. Um, it was called What Moves You. And because that's quite an emotional sentence, really, but also it fits very nicely with automotive, cars move us, you know, and, but we're also moved emotionally. So it fits the, the worlds quite nicely. So we launched this personality with new communication language and a new set of values and really to connect and link these companies closer together. Can you, can you uh, reflect on the differences between automotive and financial services for us? Uh, the automotive cultures, uh, you know, I would quickly be led to believe there's something distinct uh, that might, might come, come to mind quickly for you. I would say the, the automotive culture was more um, structured, was more um, maybe steeped in a bit more hierarchy, steeped in a bit more history. Whereas the financial services culture was a bit more adaptable, a bit more um, uh, front-running younger, a younger um, environment as well from an age perspective. Um, and a lot of uh, what's really also what was striking to me at, at that time is we had started to run a program within financial services around inspirational leadership because there's so many challenges around regulations and how the, regulation, the regulatory environment changes. One really needs to focus on that a lot and really get the people to follow, to embrace it, but in a way where um, it doesn't become something that stops the business because it's very easy to say we can't do something because of regulations. It's really to find the way. So the culture was more finding solutions, more pragmatic, where to find, um, how can we, and um, the other culture was a lot more traditional, a lot more, this is how we've done it, this is how we're going to do it, not that pace of change or that requirement for adaptability or creativity that you had in the other environment. And then the main thing is if you want talent to move across those boundaries, which is very, very um, advantageous for the company because the, if people move into the different environments, they're more creative themselves and they bring new solutions. And this is really what you want. And both ways, you know, from both the organizations or both the, the, the industry specialisms. So it was really, really great to open it more and say, okay, how do we bring some of that creativity and some of that innovation and some of that more younger environment into the one, but how do we also um, bring a little bit of that history and, um, and keep that uh, part of the, of the DNA? And so it was really good to, to try and merge those and bring values that were important to both. And one thing I have to say, the three values that emerged were authenticity, collaboration, and inspiration. And as part of the collaboration, it was really all being part of the same family. You know, this recognition that although it's two industry specialisms, it's still part of the same company and the same family, the same multinational. Were you a CFO at the time? Yes, I was a CFO, but as a CFO um, in my previous roles and in this role, I was also responsible for um, human resources. Yes, so um, did you have HR leaders uh, from each organization who you were collaborating with, or did you appoint them, or what was, uh, how did you come into that world and, 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 uh, and lead it? 
Um, how, how I led the project was more from the CEO level. So there were three CEOs who I knew very well, and um, they really gave me the freedom to run the project as I saw fit. And because I'd been the CFO in all three of the companies, I convinced them that it would not work if we just ran it as a traditional move project, that we really needed to look at this cultural dimension and this change dimension. And they trusted me, and you know, I did some uh, research and could produce that and show it to them and say, you know, this is the direction that we want to go and these are the reasons that we really need to do it. And so my interaction was mainly at that, my personal interaction was at that CEO level, getting the three CEOs and also then um, someone from HR strategy centrally from uh, the group that um, was on a contract to the UK to make sure that we, you know, we, we weren't doing anything that was out of line of, let's say, what was really required within the group dimension and the human resources strategy for the group. And then my team would mainly li liaise. So I have a, I had a head of HR um, that reported to me and that head of HR would report, would, would align with all the other HR um, human resources heads. And if we had issues like, for instance, we, we introduced an entire new modern working environment where everyone didn't have their own desk or their own office and um, we relaxed the dress code and we um, created what we called uh, working better not harder so new principles of working flexibly where it was really more around output than what it was around um, measuring attendance and for those um, type of um, issues within the project, of course, the human resources teams were the ones who were working on that mainly, and then would report into me as the sponsor of the project, and I would take it forward to the managing directors for approval. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. I think it's easy for a lot of finance leaders to think about the human capital piece of things or address the human capital piece of things by making a hire. They think, okay, I just need – I know how to remedy this. I just got to find the right HR person. And they think about it in terms of, you know, this is not something I want to get in too deep with. I just got to get the right person, and they'll take care of this for me. Is there a mistake they're making? That might have been true 10 years ago, but is it, is it different today? What would you – what would you share? I, I think if you're only hiring a person and totally relying on them, which is absolutely fine, that's, that's one way to go. But I think the other way to go is also to inform yourself more about what's happening in the external environment. Um, for instance, if one looks at the fourth industrial revolution, the paper on the fourth industrial revolution, 
And the top 10 skills, they talk about what will happen in 2020 when things are more, um, um, where there's more artificial intelligence, et cetera, et cetera. What are the skills that we will need from leaders? And you have things like creativity that come under the top three now, or emotional intelligence that wasn't in the list at all before, or cognitive flexibility, which for me means that's really important to be able to make sure that that HR professional then is helping you to create the programs that will make sure that the leaders have those uh, qualities or that we're, we're for furthering those qualities. And I think if you just think it's about hiring the right person and not being able to be a, like a, a brainstorming partner for them or a sparring partner for them, um, how do you also make sure that they deliver the best when there's no sparring or there's no challenge? So I think the, I think the days of just sitting back and saying, I just hire a great person that's fine, but someone also needs to help and, and grow and develop that person. And the only way you really do that is by sparring with them, by saying, you know, let, let's talk about this together. How do we create something that's, as part of what I did before, I also created a new HR strategy for the organization with my team. And it's in that environment where you really brainstorm with the professionals and you say, but this is really what the business requires. How do we match this with this human resources world? It's that sparring of a senior finance professional with an HR professional that I think creates something that is bigger and better. Not when we just rely basically and say that's okay. What are some human capital questions that finance leaders really need to have the answers to uh, today? I would say the first thing really is what is it that we need as an organization with uh, the changing demands in the external environment. So if one looks at just another, another set of uh, research that you could call is the book by John Getzamer, who's talking about the Athena Doctrine. And they asked 64,000 people across the world, what skills would you um, categorize as masculine, feminine, and neutral? and they categorized the skills, and then they asked the same 64,000 respondents across the world to say which of those traits are closely related or do they see more correlated to happiness, morality, and leadership. And surprise, surprise, they were looking for the data to prove what they already thought, and the data proved that there's been a shift to from away from the traditional um, um, male skills that they categorized as male skills, it's more um, or masculine skills towards the feminine skills. And these are the pragmatism, collaboration, etc., etc. So from my point of view, if I read this with the fourth industrial revolution's research of the top 10 skills, I would be asking my HR professional, are we really making sure that we have people that are not just analytical specialists, et cetera, et cetera. Are we really fostering in the leaders that we have these skills of pragmatism, collaboration, um, the necessary skills that we have to survive in maybe 10, 15 years? Because that's where we have to start because some leaders stay in organizations that long. So first thing for me is do we have the necessary programs that we will be able to develop those skills that we need for the future? Um, the second thing that I would ask is I would ask if it was a new organization that I wasn't um, uh, um, 
a part of before, I would ask who the board directors currently and let's say the top tiers of, of leadership, who do they think has the responsibility to deliver to develop the leaders of the future? And if the answer is, well, that's our job, HR's job, uh, then I think there's a bit of a cultural shift required in the organization. And, of course, then my third question would be, who does the board currently think is really responsible for the culture of the organization, the values, the behaviors? Are the behaviors that closely align to the values, that closely align to the strategy, are those behaviors being role modeled by the leaders that we have in the company? If the answer is no, then we have quite a lot of job, quite a lot of work to do. And then I need the finance side, so my other side, to kind of make sure that I have the money to develop these programs to ensure that I have the leaders. Because otherwise, we'll, we'll find out pretty late in the game, compared to maybe competitors, that we're not set up for future success. Be certain to listen to episode 305 for part two of our episode with Talita Ferreira. Thank you for listening. It's Jack Sweeney with a quick note that CFO Thought Leader now has a quarterly print magazine. That's right, print. Each issue will profile 25 different CFOs. Let me repeat that, 25 CFOs. Other uh, print publications are lucky if they're able to bring you five CFOs per issue. What we understand is that you want to consume content in multiple ways. But wait a minute, there's something more here. We wanted this print magazine to be a podcast companion. So when you receive it, we want you to quickly thumb through it and maybe identify which episodes you have missed. We want you to dog ear those pages, as well as uh, perhaps the pages that feature CFOs from episodes you already listened to but found maybe a little extra value from. 12 months later, you will have a library of 100 CFO profiles highlighted with your insights or comments alongside the CFO thought leaders. Now, how much are we charging for this one-of-a-kind 100 CFO profile library? Annual subscriptions are $119. We think that's reasonable. We thought about it a little bit, but that's, that's what we came up with. Uh, visit us and subscribe to CFO Thought Leader magazine at cfothoughtleader.com, where the future of finance is listening.